Pulp MX Network production. You cast me, I'll complete me till What's up, guys? It's Alex Gray, and you're listening to the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. That's all we need is more fake news, Pulp MX bullshit. It's quality, not quantity, all right, man? Welcome back to another episode of the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. I'm Darkside from the Moto X Pod Show, and we are about to discuss this week's Pulp MX Show. But first, I have to thank all of our amazing sponsors. You know all about Michelin Motorcycle Tires from the Pulp MX Show, and now I'm excited to announce that Michelin Bicycle Tires is a proud sponsor of the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. In 1891, Michelin patented the first detachable bead pneumatic bicycle tire, and to this day, Michelin continues to innovate and produce world-class podium-finishing products for both road and mountain bikes. If you'd like to ride the same Michelin Bicycle Tires as mountain bike legend Cam Zink and the 2019 EWS champion Sam Hill, Stay tuned for more info about a Pulp Mix discount code on Michelin Bicycle Tires. Follow at Michelin Bicycle on Instagram and check out bike.michelin.com for all the details on Michelin's extensive range of bicycle products. And of course, Guts Racing was established in 1990 as a premier off-highway seat manufacturing company, offering high-performance seat covers and foam for motocross, supercross, and off-road competition. Guts Racing has worked with every top rider at some point of their career, from Steve Lampson and Jeremy McGrath in the 90s to Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart in the 2000s, and today with Rockstar Husky, Pro Circuit Kawasaki, JGR Suzuki, and many more. If it's style and performance you want, you've come to the right place. Check out GutsRacing.com for info on the many products offered, such as the Phantom Light Seat Foam. And those who ride dirt bikes, motorcycles, ATVs, and UTVs know Motorsport is the best place for OEM and aftermarket parts, riding gear, and accessories. Motorsports.com's dedicated team of gearheads have the knowledge and expertise to help get your ride working at peak performance and have you looking good, too. Whether you race on the track, ride on the trails, or commute on the street, make your next ride your best ride only at Motorsport.com. And, of course, don't forget to go to PulpMixShow.com for all the sponsor links and discount codes. If you want to be on the Pulpamex Wrap-Up Show, or you have questions or comments, or you want to submit a question for the Hello Pookie segment, just send them to DarkSide at PulpMix.com. Okay, let's get to our guests. All right, first up, brought to you by Michelin Bicycle Tires from Big MX, Brad Gebhardt. What's up, Brad? Hey, how's it going, guys? Appreciate you having me on once again. Third time. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you having the time for us. Uh, you were telling me off air how busy your week is, and you're heading to Atlanta. That's going to be fun. Absolutely. Cannot wait. Uh, I've got a lot of things on my plate, but always got time for uh, Pulp Next Show and uh, Wrap-Up Show as well. Oh, appreciate it. All right. And also brought to you by Guts Racing from Twitter at, uh, and Dented Pipe Podcast at Ron Dog. What's up, Ron Dog? Hey, what's up? Thank you for having me. I, I feel like the rookie on this uh, podcast. Uh, you and I both, bro. You and I both. Brad's got about 12,000 times as many pods as you and I put together. Um, lots of experience. But, hey, man, we're going to uh, we're gonna wrap up Pulp Mech Show, episode 416. Paul Parabino's in studio Chase Sexton, Larry Ward, and Tony Alessi on the phone. Um, Brad and, and Ron, both of you guys had some highlights from Larry Ward, so uh, we're going to get to that stuff. Uh, it was really a fantastic, Brad, having Larry actually on the show. 
I couldn't agree more. Uh, like, actually, it's funny. Uh, I grew up absolutely loving uh, Larry Ward. He was a Kawasaki kid when I was our guy when I was a young kid racing uh, Kawasaki's and uh, in the early 2000s. There, I don't know how he got that uh, factory ride job. Didn't get only was there for one year, unfortunately. But uh, just an absolute uh, legend. Guys who've done it for a really long time, and uh, it was really cool to reconnect with him through the podcast and just sort of see how removed he's been. Like, yeah. it, it was. A- just to listen to just like like how sort of unaware of certain things that he was, but also uh, a pretty sharp sense of humor that I wasn't expecting. So that was a nice touch. Definitely. He was he was giving it to Mathis, and we're going to get to Larry here in a minute. Uh, definitely probably the highlight of the night for me, but we're going to start uh, both you guys with uh, one of Brad's topics, and that was uh, Paul Parabinos as a co-host. Uh, you know, former Pro Taper guy, moved over to Renthal, uh, you know, a regular co-host or semi-regular co-host, very knowledgeable, uh, heavily involved with the fantasy. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Brad, because he was one of your top fives. Um, what was it about Paul that, you know, you were most impressed with uh, Monday night? Well, first of all, the guy's got a very funny uh, dry delivery. I really like uh, Paul's sense of humor. He sounds like the kind of guy that you'd like to have with but one of the things I love about having Paul in studio, same reason why uh, the uh, fantasy pod is so great, is because if you could ever have an opportunity to go, like, basically be a fly on the wall uh, on, like, a road trip with Steve and his buddies that have all these stories and stuff like that, it's guys like um, Paul that really bring out the absolute best in Steve, all those, like, the... Uh, the bench racing stories and, and the mm-hmm. like going down memory lane and stuff like that. It's stuff. It's the people like that that really sort of that. That's what brings the sizzle when it comes to uh, really making Steve on his game. And uh, when Steve's on and uh, and Paul's funny and then JT thrown in the mix as well. I think it's a great uh, package altogether. Like it, it's one of those things you can have all the time because uh, it, it would kind of get stale a little bit with some of the inside jokes and whatnot. But uh, when it when it shows up, it's awesome. And uh, that's one of the, my favorite things about those rotating guests yeah. uh, or the, the co-hosts that come on. And then, uh, yeah, Paul crushed it as always. He's uh, maybe he's one of the more underrated uh, guests or uh, co-hosts. When I, uh, when I see he's on there, uh, I get pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Rod Dog, you know, obviously coming off of Arlington this weekend with the Triple Crowns, they had a lot of discussions on the Triple Crowns. Um, Paul had some ideas on maybe some format changes. It wouldn't even be a triple crown anymore, really, with the way he was describing it. Um, what do you think of his concept? Honestly, it lo- he lost me just a little bit uh, the way he was describing it. But once I went back and listened, re-listened, it I got it. Double heat races. Yeah, yeah. But when I was first listening, like it, 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 I didn't, I couldn't retain it all at first. I had to go back and re-listen. Um, but Ron Dog, what do you think of uh, the triple crown idea and maybe changing some things up? Uh, Paul doesn't love the triple crown format anymore. Yeah, I can, I can see where he's coming from from a certain point of view. Um, I think as a fan, there is advantages to it. You get to see the top riders out there more. I did like his concept, though, of the one thing I do agree with him that I feel the Triple Crown is missing is like that that build-up to that one race that they're going to lay it all on the line for. Yeah, that so was... his idea... Go ahead. So I liked his idea of, of adding that back in there. But again, like you said, it kind of would take away from, quote-unquote, the Triple Crown format. But I do think, like, a lot of people talked about, like, the third race in the 250s where Sexton looked like he kind of settled because he knew he had the overall. So it'd be nice if you could make that tweak to where he's going to push for that win. Um, 
But I I just, unfortunately, like you said, I got a little lost in it. I think it was a little long-winded in the explanation. So it took me a couple times listening to it to fully grasp what he said. But I do like his his idea of adding that overall winner-take-all back to the Triple Crown. Yeah, and and Brad, is he right, though? Is the Triple Crown take, you know, is it start? And Steve kind of mentioned this, that maybe it's starting to lose its luster a little bit. They're still fun to watch, but maybe some of it's, for some of that initial excitement's going away. I think so. Honestly, uh, I've never been a huge fan of the, the uh, Triple Crown uh, format. I, in theory, it sounds awesome. Like all of the, the 22 fastest guys, both classes, all six motos, here we go. But reality is, is, uh, they're, they're short races, so anytime someone gets a bad bad start, they're not going to be able to get to where they probably would have. And, of course, that's sort of the, that's the nature of the beast. The starts are even more important in triple crowns. And like, but the problem is like a bad start sort of spoils the event sometimes. It spoils one particular moto when a guy gets really back there, and there's just not enough time to get ahead. And then every, every time that we've had this, I think we had it at the very first uh, triple crown when uh, uh, Jason Anderson was able to win uh, – getting second. So uh, after a long night of racing, you, you've seen all the, the takeouts and Jordan Smith hitting the ground 30 times. And then you, you're treated to this last race where you got basically two guys that are just following each other around. Yeah. And there's nothing, there's no amount of gap that, that Shane McElrath can win by that's going to get him that extra point to, to, to square things up. And uh, Chase Sexton, because he had the, the, uh, the better performance up to that point, can uh, sail it on home. And... Uh, yeah, even no fault to him for not going for the win there, but he doesn't need it. And like, right. that, that, to me, uh, doesn't turn into great entertainment for the fans. And I think that the whole point behind the Triple Crown is that we're getting more entertainment for the fans. So right now, we don't get LCQs, which is a bummer. I want to see those. That's where the carnage is. Uh, and then we're, we're also getting scenarios often where uh, guys are sort of mailing it in on that last race. And we also get that triage unit of uh, a third round where um, I think like one of the races, like 17 guys in it, and the other one had like 18 guys in it. That's not good for uh, when you when you're looking down at the the start gate, and you see empty gates. Right, right. Yeah, I think that was part of Paul's. You know, a lot of what you said was Paul's opinion of you know it's not not building to something exciting, and uh, you know he doesn't like the first one fast lap to qualify. You know, all those his his ideas and his reasonings are are valid. I think. Um, but as yeah, as you said, Paul is a co-host, fantastic. Um, you know, talking about Renthal, uh, Dune Goon had a great uh, quote of the night. I guess you guys probably caught that, asking if uh, they had the blue waffle grips. Do they make a blue waffle? Yeah, <laughs> I caught that immediately. Um, and, and unfortunately, that's a little bit of a uh, uh, like you like. If you're not familiar with the term, yeah, uh, you'd have to maybe go Google that. And, and uh, to, to, to those who do, I apologize for yep. the displeasure. Um, but uh, yeah, that, I got a little bit of a chuckle from that. But honestly, like I don't know if you guys could probably back me up on this one. This was one of the funnier episodes that there's been in recent history. Obviously, Show 400 uh, with with the. Um, Adam and RV and Jake and Coke in studio. That one's one of the all timers. But this was an underrated one. This was this had to be in stitches more than a few times. I think uh, everyone was pretty much on their game. Even even Trevor Greaves jumping in there, uh, local uh, Canadian guy yeah. jumping in with some cool liners. I liked it. Yeah, we're going to talk about him here in a minute. Um, let's move on to the second item of the night, and this came from Ron Dog. But the okay, so obviously coming off Arlington with all the carnage, 
Uh, the track was a discussion. Steve said, is it the track? Is it the full moon? Uh, or is it just the racing? And uh, our, our guy, Paul Parabinos, you know, felt like probably like most of us do. Like most of the co- the hosts did. It's, it's a combination of things. It's the dirt. It's the racing. Um but you know the the dragons back right claimed a few people so that was a heavy topic should they be changed what was it built wrong um and i think the general consensus was it was not built wrong steve even mentioned you know that chad reed said hey there's a thing on the right to control it um what do you think ron dog you think uh these guys are you know you think the the studio is correct that it's really up to the racer to you know you got to you got to decide whether you're going to back it down or not when the track's not you know, meant to race a hundred percent, maybe. And, and that's true. You, you know, these guys are the best in the world. And unfortunately, as a fan watching, they make it look so easy lap after lap, night in and night out. When something goes wrong, you're looking for a reason why. But, um, I think, uh, you know, a dragon back can always be sketchy no matter what. And I don't know if it was because of the triple after that they wanted to make sure they had the drive for, but, uh, I think it was more just the, the design of the track, uh, than, than necessarily the Triple Crown format. Because if you look, you had AC and Dakotas go down in qualifying before the first race even happened. And if you look at the replay of Cooper Webb, it looked like he was almost trying to re- rear-wheel tap that top bump, but he kicked too hard. And then when his front tire caught that single, that's what sent him over. So I, I agree with that comment they made, They said Chad Reed made about just needing to control the throttle a little more. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say anything negative about these guys. I mean, I'm not, I've never been at that level. So I, I've never had my heart rate maxed out minutes plus a lap trying to, to race down the best in the world. But I, I think they it, it came down more to the riders and, and the track. I mean, maybe that wasn't the best place for uh, a Dragon's back. Maybe it wasn't built. The other comment I heard a lot that I agree with is the dirt was very deceiving. Um, it looked like you were going to get a lot of traction, and then it was kind of marbling on top. So maybe they were getting wheel spin trying to go up. So I think I personally feel it felt more on track design than, than the effect of race after race for the triple crown. Okay, and Brad, what about you, man? I, you know, obviously, the, I, to me, the general consensus in the studio was it's up to the riders to race the track, um, not the track builders to build it to the. You know, what, what do you think? You think I, I, you've been in this business a long time, man? I mean, do you agree with them, or do you have a different opinion? Absolutely. I, I agree with the studio and, yeah. and with Chad Reed. The thing, the funny thing is, is that when these guys do incredible, amazing things, they twist the bike all kinds of sideways through the air, and they were able to put the front tire exactly where it needs to be. When they do it, they get like the rider gets all the credit. When they go after for tea kettle, the the it was the bike, it was the the, the track. Like you know what I mean? These guys are are as in control as you can be, they ride the ragged edge, and sometimes they make mistakes, and sometimes they need to check things up. But the reality is is that these guys push it to the absolute limit. And when the, the three of us try and do that on two wheels, bad things happen. And the same thing happens with these guys. Sometimes yeah, they yeah. go down. Sure. Yeah, and I think they did a real good job, as you know all always. You yeah, Yes, I do. Would you all, man, let's not bring up old shit. Uh, yeah, but they did a good job as always, you know, discussing all sides of it. And of course, you know, having their little, their arguments back and forth that we love. Um, all right, Larry Ward, let's move on to, again, what I said was a highlight of my night, probably listening to the big bird. Um, 
but his his discussion of you know racers transitioning from racing to the outside world, I kind of got real for a little bit, right? I mean, he talked about it being a it, it was difficult, but he made it through. Uh, and, and we know looking back at some guys like Tyler Evans and some others, and many others that Brad, it's not always easy, man. And I think that's something that that uh, Larry was really trying to bring to the forefront to make people realize that. Um, there's more than life out there than racing, and it was a pretty deep discussion. How long would you say it took you to transition from being a racer to life after racing? Yeah, and that's a whole other topic, too. You know, there's a lot of guys um, that have struggled with that transition. Yeah. Um, it, it's not easy. Thankfully for me, you know, of course I was no Ricky Carmichael or Ryan Dungey. Um, or Ferry, or, or Tim or, Ferry. Or, <laughs> how many um, 450 Supercrosses did he win again? Uh, he didn't win any, Larry. Yeah, so shut the hell up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to kid you. I even struggled. Yeah. I'm glad I wasn't a Ricky Carmichael. I can go to Outback. You know, you don't know this, JT, because you've transitioned nicely. But when you're on Larry's level... And Swink's had trouble, right? Swink had trouble. A lot of guys uh, had trouble. When you're on Larry's level, the money stops, the applause stops. I don't, I don't know for sure if this is what happened, Larry, but it's tough for these guys, man. It really has to be. Yeah, it was easier for me because I didn't have any applause. Right. So <laughs> that was a pretty – like I just woke up and it was the same thing. Um, Absolutely. Um, the reality is we don't always get to know these guys at a deeper level – uh, and understand what makes them tick, that they've got hobbies outside of going really fast on a motorcycle. Unfortunately, there's some that don't really have that. It kind of a, uh, comes part and parcel with being so unbelievably good at one thing that you, you, don't, you seem to have uh, a little bit of, of lacking when it comes to uh, other interests and stuff like that, but that clearly wasn't the case for, uh, for Larry Ward, uh, whether it be RC cars or uh, the being able to develop a, uh, basically a hunting ranch um, completely outside the realm of being a professional motocross racer and uh, if anything I think it speaks to the vol- speaks volumes to uh, the entrepreneurial mindset that he would have had to need to uh, add value to those sponsors when he didn't have a factory ride and the hard work that he was able to put in to get those factory rides back I was pretty impressed yeah that's uh, at Stonewood Ranch on Instagram the Stonewood Ranch on Facebook uh, you know and he uh uh, Ron Dog, he, he discussed a lot about trying to get some of these riders out there, you know, RV, and we're going to talk about the RV story here shortly, but, uh, you know, getting some of these guys and maybe some people in the industry out there to come together as a whole and hang out and tell stories and, uh, you know, and bring these guys together and probably discuss things such as the future of riders and handling things. It, it really felt... It, it just like I said, it was not the discussion I thought Larry. I thought we were going to have Larry Ward on and talk about his race history, which he did a little bit. But um, I think a really important topic that got brought up on Pulpomex. What do you think of it, Ron Dog? Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it, it's interesting because I've heard t- a little bit of of that kind of story from some other riders over the years. But but to hear Larry Ward, I mean, and really get into it and. And I, I have to agree with all the fans. I think he needs to do a long format podcast. I don't care what it takes. I would right. sit and listen to Larry Ward talk. But um, I, I was glad to hear about the success he's having outside of racing. And, and you know, he said he learned how to fly and race in RC cars, and that's what it took to help him get over it. But it's just something you don't you don't think of or you don't see. You see these riders 
they're out there doing what you love to do, what they love to do for a living, and you don't realize that it's all going to end at some point. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and this is, of course, is a young man's sport. So when you're done, you still have a lot of life to live. So it was it was really interesting hearing him talk about that end. And I also love the part where he joked about not coming on Pulp MX because he thought it was some kind of cooking podcast. <laughs> so I Steve, thought he had a great sense of humor. Steve's lost some weights. Yeah, he thought he lost yeah. the show. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he he was a funny guy. That's, I don't. I I haven't heard a lot of obviously long form interviews for, with him as none of us really have. And I get the feeling he's willing to do it now, and hopefully that will happen. Um, but yeah, so he he talked uh, also. You know, JT came on a little bit afterwards and talked about how it was an easy transition for him because he didn't have all the applause and it was just like waking up for another day, Brad. Which uh, you know, JT being a laugh at himself, not pretty pretty typical of JT. Yeah, that, that made me. Um, oh, I, I I agree with you, Ron Dog Man, um, and it's like. Jason has such a, such a dry delivery, more than often than not. Like I, I usually, I'm usually doing meal prep when I'm listening to the Pulp Show uh, in an archive version, and uh, these guys have me laughing by myself in my kitchen uh, more 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 than anything. And uh, but like it literally like uh, we talk about yuck yucks on this podcast yeah. every once in a while uh, when when guys like uh, Randy Richardson in town or my buddy Galdi and. Uh, came in there with some fire. I think he was sort of, uh, he might have been trying out some new material for a stand-up gig sometime. Yeah, yeah, especially it, like, like he, he just kind of... <laughs> well, Steve, Steve, you know, he was he was talking about the guy is like, Ryan, I'm not a Ryan Dungey, I'm not a Ricky Carmichael, and of course our boy Steve has to throw in Tim Ferry, at which point uh, Larry had to quote, uh, how many 450 Supercrosses did he win? None. Yeah, shut the hell up. So... <laughs> Yeah, that was uh he put he shut Steve down pretty quick. Um and then of course, also the story about RV, right? Uh Brad, this is one of the things that you said was one of your top 5 moments. Absolutely. Well, at at first like you you know that when Larry Ward's telling the story, he's doing it doing so even though it's a over the phone podcast, he's doing it with like the pinky and the thumb <laughs> on the phone with with RV and I can only imagine RV taking that phone call he turned pro about three years, two years after Larry's last race, uh, last win on a 250F. Uh, yeah. back, I guess that was 2002. Um, yeah, so it was about four years different. And, uh, yeah, he's just completely, like, just, like, not knowing at all who's on the phone. He knows <laughs> Ward. He knows Kawasaki. He's trying to put things together. And just, so this is this Jeff. And he's like he's he, like he's thinking like cart, or like you know what I mean. Like it was very um, like maybe then that might have been like a, a giant slice of humble pie as well <laughs> for, Larry. for Larry. And maybe that's the real reason why Larry didn't think that anyone knew him or, or wanted to hear his story anymore. Yeah, because he called up RV and RV is like, "Who the hell are you?" And then that just gives the final nail in the coffee. That I'm just going to go hunt. That's fine. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I want to thank, obviously, Guts Racing, Michelin Bicycle Tires, and Motorsport.com all on board with us at the Pulp Show. We appreciate you guys, and go to PulpMXShow.com for all the sponsored links and discount codes. All right, uh, we all play fantasy, so that topic obviously comes up every week, especially with Paul in studio, who is uh, one of the main guys that helps do the handicaps, and they, they discussed changing some things in the future i appreciate the fact that they said they wouldn't change it in the middle of the season because it's not fair um 
Ron Dog, what do you think, man? Uh, discussing fantasy, uh, you, the mistakes. How about the mistakes? People, you know, make mistakes every week. I made a huge one this week in my picking my teams, but these guys get emails constantly, uh, you know, telling them that, that the the system's flawed, that the they didn't pick the certain the person that the system says they picked, uh, and then just you know probably shit talking the administrators of Pulp Mix Fantasy. Uh, is, are you that way, Ron? If you make a mistake, do you send an email in and complain? No. First off, uh, <laughs> usually uh, on a Saturday, I've got the chat open on the website. Yeah. So I know the, the, the hardships they get put through and, and the same repetitive questions. But I love what they – I love, first off, uh, uh, Steve said, hey, we do have some glitches, but, you know, 95% of it is operator error, and I agree with that. It I don't is. know how many times I see in the chat like um can i change a rider and we're like in the second gate drop and my team did save and so i agree with what they said uh i think it was uh mark saying you know people are trying to wait till three seconds to finalize yeah. their team or you know here we are how many how long has this been going and we're eight rounds into this season people don't know that you need to have an all-star there is a link, I believe, to a podcast that goes through all the rules. So even if you don't read like most people don't this generation, <laughs> which we'll get to later. Um, but, you know, so there's even a podcast that explains all the rules. So I, I agree with them based off what I see, that it, it is 95% operator error. Although I can't say I have found a system because even with a, a guaranteed 300 should have been a triple crown, I still only got 294, but... You know, it's it, it's the fun of, of Pulp MX Fantasy, right? Well, I didn't even get that much because of my mistake. But Brad, um, yeah, Pulp MX Fantasy discussion this week. Uh, J- Steve almost somewhat went on a little bit of a rant with it. How sad does it get you for society reading these emails we get from people who have trouble with the game? Like, do you just want to walk off a cliff? The, the emails we get about, I didn't pick that rider. Oh, my oh, team yeah, didn't dude. save. Yeah. It, like, it, like, it, it has me c- concerned for the human race. I just, that's right. My question is, how concerned do you get for society when you Big read time. these people that have issues and then you, A, prove them wrong, yeah. B, show them yeah. that they're an idiot, or C, they're lying? In 90% of the time, there's three things. Yeah. You're an idiot, mm-hmm. you're wrong, or you're lying. Yeah, that was like, I think that actually might have been his uh, race tech rant uh, brought to you by Michelin uh, Mountain Bike Tires. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that like, just, like, I can only imagine the, the, the rude things that people will say. But yeah. I, I, my favorite part is that you just like call it out people just being complete fucking liars. Yeah, and yeah. He said it. Like, yeah. Just like, yeah, that, that, that to me man, that had to make me laugh just because the fact that he like, he, like, people have been caught basically like, hey, I wanted. I I had that guy on my team, and blah blah blah. They're like, nope, you're lying. Uh, you're just trying to, like, and like that's a, that's a, a long way to go just to beat Ron Dog in my league that our our show league that we have. Because um, like that's actually not very hard to do. Uh, three three twenty six. <laughs> if you guys were wondering how I did last week, and nice. um, no, I, I love. I think it, it creates great fodder for these guys, and uh, like I think, like I don't think anyone had any idea the entertainment value that was going to come out of fantasy. Like, out of, like oh, obviously, no. if there's things to be won, there's championships to be had, but on top of that, it is absolute comedy when uh, 
you're you're banking on a guy to do well, and you literally see him cartwheeling through the whoops, and you just like throw your television remote, your cell phone, and everything else. Yeah, Steve, Steve, uh, and Dune Goon both said they they had no idea it'd be this big, and they would have asked for a bigger percentage had they known. Um, so yeah, it's and and my I didn't even get yeah my I got like two fifty. So that's uh, I was short a guy. Let's just say I was short a guy somehow in a triple crown format. Um, no excuses. I just screwed up. So is what it is. But it will drive you crazy, and they are right about that. It's but it's a lot of fun, and and bench racing with you guys makes it all that much more fun. Uh, but yeah, the race tech rant of the night was Paul's this week. Knowing the rules, uh, knowing the rules of the series you're racing, knowing the rules of pretty much every anything you're involved with. Um, man, I don't know the rules of half the shit I get involved with. But Paul was pretty adamant that all the teams should have know all the rules. They should have the riders should know all the rules. Uh, the idea, it kind of got brought up because Chase Sexton tried to switch bikes after the site lap in the first 250 main event. Um, Run Dog, what do you think, man? Should, is it? I understand knowing the rules. Like the teams should definitely know the rules. I don't know that I feel like the riders need to necessarily know all the rules, but uh, I, I think it might have been a little extreme with that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you got to know the rules of the track, of course, as a rider. But I mean, that's why you have team managers and you have the whole team around you is to to know the stuff like the mechanics. I mean, do they know the rules that the mechanics need to follow so they don't get penalized? I wouldn't necessarily know that. But if you got someone like a team owner that doesn't know the ins and outs of the rules, and I understand what he's talking about, but the whole team definitely, someone on that team should have known that rule about trying to switch bikes. So I can. Yeah, I I think like you said, some of the rules, uh, Brad. I, I don't know that. Like I said, the writers don't necessarily need the whole know the whole rule book. In my opinion, but I get uh, where he's coming from. Uh, I, I totally agree. I like it's, it's not the writers' job to know all the ins and outs of what bike can be used when. Obviously, uh, it, it would help to, but that's on team managers. That's on mechanics to know their stuff. And honestly. Uh, I was surprised that that uh, Geico made, uh, uh, made a mistake like that. I know the PC guys uh, are about as dialed in as it gets. In fact, I've even heard stories of uh, from Kyle Defoe, uh, one of the mechanics over there with Cameron McAdoo, that they'll do tire changes, or not tire changes, but diff- different types of stuff in the, the shop and actually darkfish their the overlay themselves doing it see what type of, like, how much time they can save on doing certain things. Those guys are way more dialed in than anyone would realize, and I was surprised that there was a mistake altogether. But right. I guess if you're going to, uh, like, if you're going to ignore the, the rules, it is what it is. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Tony Alessi. He he was one of the callers or the the online, on-the-phone guests. Um, yeah, I think he, he kind of seemed like he was a last-minute uh, pick for Steve to get on the air. But with Justin Hill qualifying fastest, he wanted to get him on. Um, Brad, you you liked the Tony Alessi interview? I did. I absolutely did. Tony Alessi, uh, like if you listened only to uh, the the Lasergate episode and mm-hmm. have heard the drops, and that was the last time we heard of uh, from Tony Alessi, you'd think that the guy was a star craving maniac. But the, now he comes on, and the guy's funny. He's quick. He cares. He he tears the. Uh, uh, Steve a new one every once in a while, which is always uh, uh, I'm always a fan of that. Like anyone that can come on and, and put Steve in his place uh, is, is just like that's just that's good good entertainment for me. Um, so I, I love having uh, Tony on and the guy uh, like 
he knows a ton about motocross mm-hmm. because he never stops thinking about motocross. Like, like he's extra over the top obsessed with that stuff. And uh, I think he really only shows us the, the tip of the iceberg to his psychosis when it comes to uh, <laughs> Supercross. But uh, it's it's always a pleasure to have that guy on. And uh, um, although sometimes he might sound like a little bit uh, uh, pre-recorded sometimes, or no, maybe it's pre-recorded, like, like premeditated when he has all of this kind of his his sponsor reads and this and the other thing. He's, he is right. very almost sounds scripted sometimes, but otherwise gold. Uh, I, I I like having uh, Tony on, and uh, um, and I also like what he said that he th- he thinks that he could have taken uh, Martin Davalos to the top, not, like not not to, like besmirching the good name of uh, Martin Davalos whatsoever, but instead boosting up his own program, saying yeah yep. he's not doing so great, but we could have gone there. I yeah, like I, I agree, and uh, Ron Dog. Um, you know, Tony and Steve have, you know, a little bit of tumultuous history as uh, Brad kind of mentioned about Lasergate and whatnot, but the fact that like a lot of writers who have had issues with Steve, not Jason Anderson just yet, but some of the guys, they, they come around to being on the show, realizing the benefit of being on the show and promoting themselves. Um, and I think that's gone a long way for Tony. Yeah, I think it's really helped him a lot. Um, I didn't know much about Tony when when Mike and and his brother first jumped on the scene, and there was a lot of stuff in the magazines about the whole family. But the more I've heard of Tony, the more I've gotten to know about him, I've I've really started to like him. What I love is he makes the comment that he doesn't do it for the money, he does it for the passion, and that is very clear. You can see anyone who's been on that team, he's helped everyone. I mean, look at his... You know, he said about Justin Hill, I'm sorry, about uh, Malcolm Stewart, if he can consistently end in the top ten with the way the season's going, he can get a top five finishing points. And I can really see that. He knows the sport inside and out. How many people has he helped with starts? And I do think he could uh, help tweak those things with uh, Davalos if he would have um, gone that route. Yeah. Um, the other thing I like, too, is uh, – Steve asked him if he could help out about the spa. He said, well, it's not only my department, but I can ask. <laughs> right, right. You know, so he's got a good sense of humor to go with all that knowledge, and I think he is great for the sport. Well, and he told he told Weege he needed the uh, T-14 fuse for the Stasic. So, yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely uh, playing some games, having some fun. Um, all right, a couple more topics we're going to touch on before we wrap this thing up. Uh, the regular Works Connection will call with Will Hahn, which uh, if we've been looking at Twitter all day, that that may that may be an issue in the near future. I think Monday night show is going to have some hot topic with Will Will Hahn. But this week, um, Ron Dog, the you know Will's always Will, but we I love the hearing about the flip off game, right? Who gets who first? Uh, how it's going to go down? Uh, and this week, while Will's on the phone, he texts Paul and has Paul flip off Steve. Does that count? Um, I I don't know. I mean, I love how Steve's like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, and, and Paul tells him, and it's like the light goes on, <laughs> you know. So I thought that was really clever to go that route. I don't know. I don't I think mean, so. You know, you've heard the you, you've heard the stories of uh, Will hiding behind the fans and calling them, and I can give that because Will's actually there. But I'm not so sure about about texting someone else to to pull it off for you. I don't know if I necessarily count that one. Yeah, I think that I think that's a fail for Will Brad. Um, what do you think? Um, honestly, like I think it, it comes down to the element of surprise. That's the okay. whole idea behind this is that like you turn around and someone's flipping you off. Like if if Will had texted Paul and be like, "Hey, 
you got to get him for me, not just go go flip off Steve, is if, like, Steve goes to the bathroom for a second or happens to be shuffling with some papers, and, like, the next thing he looks up and Paul's flipping him off, that's when I think it counts. That's when I think that uh, they're playing the game properly, and I love it. Like, honestly, like, if um, – if Steve's on track walk this week, I, I fully plan on unlikely flipping him off. Uh, I don't think that's going to do me any favors while getting back on the on the wrap-up show anytime soon uh, of the, the game. And if it can be pulled off properly, um, yeah, I think I, I, I'm like I, I didn't see how that one was executed, but I'm going to count it. Yeah, it was it was funny, but I just I guess like part of me thinks that Will should do it himself, but then I'm going to contradict myself because he FaceTimes Steve a little bit later and has his imaginary chick flip him off from FaceTime, and I kind of want to count that one. So yeah, I'm kinda... I definitely think I should count with what was the young lady doing at the time is what I want. <laughs> she was like, under the covers. We know that she's under the covers. Maybe performing some sort of hilarious act, which is more dark after dark than, than Keeper's ever given us, honestly. Yeah. They're stepping, Keeper's got to step his game up on the after dark action, if, that, if that's what Will's bringing <laughs> to the table. But uh, if he went to the trouble of FaceTiming mid-session under blankets, like that is, I feel like that's the ultimate, like that's the one finger trump card right there, really. <laughs> right. If he, like, as far and we did get we did get the maybe the quote of the night, which was you can't ghost finger somebody. No one has ever said you can't ghost finger someone. Uh, that's probably going to be used for a long time to come. I instantly texted Travis. He's like, "Yep, I've already time stamped it." So that's that. Was, <laughs> we're going to hear that in the near future. Um, all right. So uh, Ryan Holiday, head of Team Green, was another guy on the line. Um, and the topic I want to talk about with them uh, is Supercross Futures. So they, they bring this thing up. Steve really wants to know you know, if it's working, how it's going, what what uh, Ryan Holiday thinks. And um, to me, like they came up with an idea or a, a theory that actually kind of makes sense, but I don't think Feld would love it. And that's to get rid of the vet classes and all these guys that basically are not really futures, right? The idea of Supercross futures, in theory, is to get guys prepared to race Supercross, get their points. But it's also a business and money-making uh, entity for Feld, Ron Dog. Um, and a lot of my buddies raced this thing this last weekend in Arlington and in and, and numerous other rounds they go to. Um, I don't see that happening, but what do you think of that idea, Ron Dog? I, I... I have to say I kind of agree with the idea um, just for the fact that I sat there in Huntington Saturday wanting to be one of those guys out there, and I probably would have been hanging from the nets too. Um, I, I do like his point, uh, Ryan's point about that. It's called futures, and it should be focused on the futures. Um, but I understand also like Steve Brock doing it the way they are, so they aren't going to want to make a change. I just think if you – if you gear it towards the futures, the guys that are getting ready to go pro in the next couple of years, you can gear the track more a specific way as opposed to trying to make it challenging for those who have the skills and yet safe and simple for those who are C-class or vets or just out there because they want to ride in a stadium. So I do see their point of view. I also saw Ryan's point of view and agree with where this is one of the rare opportunities kids get to ride on a supercross track. Mm -hmm. You can go out on a motocross track all over the nation, but it's very hard unless you are a team member to get any experience on a supercross style track. 
So I, I kind of see both sides of it. And uh, I do agree that maybe we need to find a way to make it a little safer because you get too many injuries, that's not good for the program either. Yeah, it's definitely something like I didn't consider, Brad, even like anytime this whole Supercross Futures was being brought up before it started and as it's gone on, like, oh, well, maybe it should only be for people for futures. Now, before I ask your opinion, I want to give a shout out to uh, – Calvin Knoll, which is at CK underscore 856 on Instagram, who was the guy that went into the nets twice. He said his rebound was too slow. Uh, that was pretty funny. So, uh, But Brad, man, like seriously, is what do you think? Because it, it, it makes sense to cut out the vets if it's really super cross futures, but at the same time, it doesn't probably make sense to the pocketbooks. Absolutely. But like, it does not. The only reason why it'll never happen is because it doesn't make sense monetarily. Yeah. Um, yes, of course. Forty-five-year-olds uh, shouldn't be racing on supercross tracks. We know this. Should there be a adequate proving ground for young, aspiring supercross racers to test the metal? Absolutely. Um, can you? Can you? Like you? Literally, they, they, they're not mutually exclusive. You, you can't have one with the without the other, right? So, um, like, it, just having the, the futures uh, would be detrimental to the bottom line for Feld. They don't want that whatsoever. There would never be an opportunity where just the older guys could do it. So, like, if you're going to exclude anyone, like, you're, you're, you're excluding a lot of dollars. And, like, but, yeah, like, honestly, as much as I'd like to uh, go out there, honestly, I have no business going out there whatsoever. I make a fool of myself on motocross tracks, let alone uh, super cross tracks. So, um it's uh, it's to the discretion of those who go out there. I guess they could sort of take in the smoke. They could take the smoking gun out of the vet guy's hands by uh, just eliminating the classes. But um, if people are paying, they're going to keep doing it. It's no different than uh, uh, the, the the cheap seats and this that and the other thing. Like people continue to pay for them. The people go sit in them and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think that there needs to be a, a more concrete sort of. Uh, feeder system into supercross and like i don't think these guys even like factor in these move-up points like i think they're just doing them for some experience and uh getting gate drops in a stadium that whole process and then uh like i think like for every one of those guys that i've I've talked to like it's just sort of automatic that they're going to get like the guys who are supposed to get their their points they just go get them it's not like they're like challenging for them or yeah yeah yeah, uh, it's just sort of like a. Oh, man, it's almost like having to go to the store and get some milk. Like they're like, ah, oh, crap, I gotta go do this thing, and then everything else around it is what they make money off of. So, uh, like, it's not, I don't know if it's exactly doing what it's intended for, but uh, I did like the idea or the, uh, the the hint that we might be getting like a, a outdoor uh, all star race uh, happening. I hope that the one twenty five thing doesn't go away because I love two strokes, but yeah. if they could somehow combine that, like six. 125 races and six uh, all-star races. I think everyone's happy, especially this podcaster. There you go. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up, guys. Uh, I appreciate you guys coming on. Wrap uh, up the wrap-up show. What's, yeah, we need to wrap up the wrap-up show. Uh, I want to thank Brad and Ron Dog for coming on. I want to thank our sponsors, Motorsport, Michelin Bicycle Tires, and Guts Racing. Uh, again, if you guys have questions, comments, anything you want to uh, contribute, if you have Hello Pookie questions, we will be recording some of those tomorrow, Pookie and I, but send those to darkside at pulpamex.com, and we'll make it happen. Uh, Rod Dog, Brad Gebhardt, thank you, man. Hey, I appreciate the time, guys. Thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to come back on here. Always a pleasure. 
talk to both of you. It's always uh, a good time. Of course. Raw Dog, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoy talking uh, moto, so anytime uh, I'll be willing to come back. And uh, thank you. Thank you to all the sponsors for uh, uh, bringing us on and letting us do the wrap-up show. Absolutely. And that's a wrap. We're out. Why would you want to re-talk about the Pulse Show?